Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Hey, welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, bud? I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart lately. Oh, really? Super Mario? Which one? No, no, Mario Kart 8, um, ah. which I think we've been stuck at that version forever. But, you know, it's a great number. Aha, uh-huh, very nice. I like that. Is there a Mario Kart 8 update one, or is it just Mario Kart 8? Uh, yeah, they do keep improving it. There actually are some patches and some updates to it. And uh, my my daughter gets real surly if uh, her pink Yoshi is not number one. So <laughs> as part as part of the bonus footage, I'll have her uh, have her both celebrating in a non gracious way winning as oh, well please. as completely melting down. We'll do some toddler shaming for yes, uh, <laughs> when she's number two. So. <laughs> Sophia, I'm sorry that Pink Yoshi is not number one, okay? Number two. What's wrong with being number two? I don't want to be number two. I like it. I like it. Well, yeah, John, perfect segue as always to what our topic is for the day vSphere 8, update one. Uh, and uh, we've got some experts on the line to talk about it. Uh, so uh, let's let's bring these gentlemen on one at a time, starting with our good friend, Mr. Ken Wernerberg. Ken, how you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. And uh, unlike uh, Mario 8 Update 1 or PSVR 2, uh, this current update we're talking about will not make me feel nausea while I'm trying to shoot people in the face with uh, Pavlov. So uh, I'm pretty excited to be here today and feeling good. I like it. I like it. Uh, and also to bring some uh, to bring some super knowledge to the uh, to the various updates is a good friend of ours, Mr. Fadim O'Leary. Fadim, Fadim, how you doing, sir? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. I hope we don't get hit with a cease and desist from Nintendo for this uh, podcast episode. Uh, but we're bringing no pink Yoshis to to Vsphere at this time. <laughs> we spell Nintendo with a silent Q on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So yeah, Phelan, we're gonna we're gonna dive deep in a moment on some of these updates. But Ken, I thought it might be good since you're sort of like the king of all tech marketing to give us uh, to give us an overview of uh, you know just just at VMware Explorer, we made the big splash uh, at the uh, at the general session, uh, big splash there with vSAN eight and as as well as uh, vSphere eight. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what came in vSphere eight, and then we'll maybe dive into some of these updates. Sure. Yeah, uh, I hope I ha- don't have to do this in some sort of uh, early English language or something particularly kingly, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, I think the, the important thing about vSphere 8 when we released that, it had a, a bunch of new functionality, of course, in various areas, uh, but we, we kind of aligned this under themes when uh, this came out and when we announced it at Explore, as you mentioned. And themes were things like supercharged workload performance. So when we're talking about uh, GPU acceleration, DPU acceleration, things along those lines, uh, that kind of falls into that bucket. 
And enhancing operational efficiency was another one. Uh, so when we talk about things like the LCM and some of the config profiles and things along those lines, they fall to that kind of a bucket. And the third area was around accelerating, accelerating innovation for DevOps. And for that, we're talking about things that we're doing with, you know, Tanzu and TKG and running uh, you know, containers and various different workload types, including VMs through the VM service and orchestrating them in a more DevOps oriented sort of fashion with things like vSphere or Tanzu. And uh, those themes are going to carry forward throughout vSphere 8, I think. And when we talk today about what's going on with, uh, with our latest update, you'll see that most of those new features and innovations kind of fall to those same areas around supercharging performance, enhancing efficiency and accelerating innovation. But we're also, uh, we're not forgetting about security. So elevating security and being able to really make sure that, that this platform is the most secure that it can be for our customers uh, out of the box without having to do uh, odd and unnatural things. Uh, so yeah, I think those are the the major themes that we're, we're going to see uh, carrying on throughout the V3.8 release and uh, you know having Phelan on to, to talk about some of those innovations is, is pretty cool. Very nice, very nice. All right, Phelan, where can we start? So we'll, we'll start in the area of operate efficiently. Uh, so, you know, we want to give our customers more time back to doing the interesting things and take, you know, a lot of the headache and the pain points away from those kind of mundane tasks, those lifecycle operations that, you know, you have to get done, but they're not typically, you know, that interesting. Um, and the first thing we'll talk about in for 8 uh, last year, we introduced a technology preview of what we're calling vSphere configuration profiles. And this is going to be our, our next generation of ESXi cluster config management. And it's coming out of the technology preview phase with vSphere 8 update one, fully supported, um, use it in production, you know, it's, it's ready and waiting for you. Now you're probably thinking, well, don't we have something called host profiles? What, what's yeah. going on with those? And we do, and they're there. And I want to reassure everyone that they're not going away anytime soon. Um, it is a, you do have to use either or, you can't use both in the same cluster. But if you're happy with host profiles, you can continue using them uh, to your heart's content with, for the lifecycle of vSphere 8. But the reason we, we have gone down this route of essentially redesigning how we approach configuration management is that we wanted to take a more modern approach to uh, a familiar problem. Um, so we've done a lot of work under the hood I don't know if you're familiar with it in, in ESXi, where we've standardized a lot of the configuration. So in the past, every single service, every VIB stored its configuration, wherever it felt like. Um, but we've consolidated that now into what we call the ESXi config store. So it's a central, centralized configuration management and it's accessible through modern APIs. So that's what vSphere configuration profiles uh, leverages. It interfaces using those APIs to the ESXi config store. Whereas, have you ever opened up a, a host profile and actually looked at it? It's a garbled mess of XML. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, incredibly difficult to read. Um, to figure out what's, what is it actually doing, what configuration is it actually applying. And one of the other cool things about vSphere configuration profiles is, is we're, we're using the JSON format um, to define the actual configuration document itself. So, you know, 
to someone who's not familiar with with you know in-depth coding myself i can actually open up that document and i can read it i can understand it it kind of it's it's largely self-explanatory uh, i can make edits to it you know in whatever text editor i want <clears throat> things like that so it's a lot more user friendly even for for people that aren't uh, are developers like myself but it'll it'll also help those customers that are that want to do that huge automation at scale they could pre-build that JSON document for all their clusters even before they add a single host, right? So they can essentially have their clusters fully configured before their clusters are built. Um, so I think that'll be a pretty cool and uh, powerful use of vSphere configuration profiles. Um, now I've been kind of talking a lot of kind of the new aspects of vSphere configuration profiles, but it has a lot of familiar stuff too, like, you know, checking for compliance, making sure all the hosts in the cluster have the adequate configuration. If they're not compliant, that's bubbled up, the drift is reported, and you can remediate those hosts back to the desired state. So, you know, it's solving the same problem that host profile does today, but we're doing it in a, in a just a, a slightly different way, modernizing it um, for, for a more scalable future as well. So it's a framework, that, a new framework that we built, and we're gonna expand on that as well in the future with uh, various updates. It sounds very similar when you say like the remediate, the, the having the using a JSON image, checking, it sounds a lot like vSphere Lifecycle Manager, uh, which manages the servers at a cluster level, but we're talking about the configuration. Is that intentional that this is a similar, uh, uh, similar, way of interfacing with uh, Config Manager? It, it, exactly, it's it's no accident. Um, you know, if you wanna go under the hood a little bit, they, they actually use a lot of the same services under the hood or old, uh, or not older, or BCI integrity or BUM service that's still there in name. Um, a lot of that is actually doing the vSphere configuration profile stuff for us and it's doing the VLCM stuff as well. But it's also taking that declarative um, ideology um, that VLCM has for the image and applying that to a configuration uh, aspect. And the two of them actually have to work in tandem. You can't actually use these for configuration profiles unless you're using VLCM's single image-based management for the cluster. And we'll do a check for that if you're trying to, to switch this on. It'll first go, hey, you need to switch over to the VLCM way of doing things. You know, BOM is deprecated now um, in vSphere 8. So move over to that more modern way of managing the image, and we'll be able to manage the cluster configuration in a similar fashion. I just want to like piggyback it. on that with one note. When you say VUM is deprecated, I think that it's, that's an important piece. We've been talking about that for a little bit too. And uh, just want to be etymologically clear that uh, deprecated does not mean gone. It means that we intend to remove it, but it's still there. It's still supported. It, it, exactly. Yeah, that's a good good call out, Ken, because deprecated sometimes means different things to different people. Uh, but when we announced, when vSphere 8 uh, went out the door last year and we announced that update manager or baseline uh, remediation is deprecated. Uh, that typically means that vSphere will be the last release for that, but it's gonna still be there for, for vSphere 8. So if you're still holding on to that, that bum method, you know, you've still got five plus years of it. We really like the way we're approaching modernizing a lot of these things too with, uh, you know, a lot of what we're doing with you know, class eight, uh, cluster API for things in the Tanzu world and uh, using YAML for that sort of thing, using JSON here, there might be a little bit of a, a learning curve to get into that JSON space 
if you've never looked at it before. But as you said, it becomes very intuitive very quickly. And then you can start defining the outcomes for your clusters that you want, irrespective of which hosts you have applied to a, a specific environment. So I think that's the key to this sort of operational efficiency is uh, really going to a desired state sort of configuration uh, approach, regardless of which portions of your cluster you're talking about. So I think it's 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 exactly. really it's a really powerful way that we're setting things up for lifecycle management and cluster management and configuration management and avoiding configuration drift, which is yeah. what people hate more than anything. Yes. when things are unpredictable, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah, and and I will I will just call out a couple of caveats when it comes to vSphere configuration profiles. So right now it's obviously cluster focused. So if you have some standalone hosts and you want to manage configuration of those, you can still use host profiles today. Um, and, um, you know, you obviously have to be on uh, vSphere 8. So if you still have some, some vSphere 7 uh, version hosts, they won't be able to be managed with uh, configuration profiles either. So you need to have, you know, vCenter U1, HU1, ESXi U1 to get the full out of technology preview version. So for that standalone host, since this has to be cluster based, can I cheat around that and just create a cluster and put a single host in it? Yeah, you could. There's nothing. Nothing would stop you from doing that. Um, I've actually. That's actually a, a nice little segue because I have been using that cheat myself to use VLCM to actually patch those standalone holes, put them in a OneNode cluster, use VLCM, take it back out again. But we've actually updated our support for standalone hosts um, in 80U1, where VLCM now can actually do that full lifecycle management of those standalone hosts. You don't have to do a workaround and put them in a cluster anymore. You'll be able to define the image, vendor add-ons, any other components, do everything that you're familiar with when you're using VLCM. But now it's for those those standalone hosts. And we got a a lot of uh, kind of requests from customers for this capability because standalone hosts are are a lot more common than you might think. Um, you know, where we we kind of sometimes assume that everyone's hosts are nicely nestled into a cluster sitting in nice warm or cool data centers, I should say. Um, but there's a whole world of standalone hosts out there that are serving edge deployments, t- telco space. They're sitting in submarines, they're on boats out to sea, they're going around on the back of vans for Formula One teams. So there's lots of reasons why people have standalone hosts. And we want to make the experience that we're focused on for clusters the same as for those standalone hosts. So make it very easy to patch those hosts using the LCM and define them um, custom depots as well so that you can make sure that those hosts are pulling down patches that are from a depot that's co-located with them. And it's not going over the wire, especially if yeah. these hosts are, you know, 5,000 miles away from the center. So... You know, speaking of patching and life cycle, um, what what's different? What's improved with getting my patching speed and automating my patching and things like that? Um, well, we we introduced a lot of that those updates with eight hundred GA um, with introducing VLCM for parallel uh, remediation for pre staging those those, um, those patches. And for quick boot as well was another thing that we introduced in vSphere, I think 6.7. But we did have an interoperability problem when it came to quick boot, where it did not actually interoperate if you had TPM 2.0 uh, chips on your host. So there was kind of a, a trade-off there you had to make. Do you want security or do you want quick reboots? Now you don't have to make that choice anymore. You can have 
festival throats. So a bit of a Sophie's choice there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and to be clear, everyone should have a TPM too. Um, and I'm going to use a giant asterisk here because apparently I've been informed this morning that one country bans TPMs, um, buzzkills. Um, but outside of that, the, the TPM should be deployed for attestation, for config encryption, I believe. And then, of course, most yeah. importantly, vSAN uh, key persistence. So there's there's just it's fifty dollars, guys. And please don't be the person who doesn't install it. And then I end up on a call with someone who's trying to figure out how to install two thousand of them and power off hosts one at a time because someone saved fifty dollars per server. Yeah. So some of the other operational improvements we've made have been in the areas of GPU. So we're all, you know, we're all probably playing with AI these days. We're all typing into chat GPT to see what sort of nonsense it can regurgitate at us. And so we're, we're helping, we're helping those sort of applications um, with vSphere. You know, we've been partnering with, with NVIDIA for years now, and we're continuing that partnership um, for the foreseeable future. And one thing that our customers like to run on vSphere are graphics-based applications or VDI applications and some AI ML, compute, high-performance computing in their virtual machines. And we can, we can share the GPU resources up to those virtual machines through the NVIDIA vGPU technology that we partnered with. But we had a limitation in previous releases where on a single host, um, you could only have one type of vGPU profile assigned to all of those VMs. So you had to pick, okay, I'm going to use this host for VDI applications. I might use this host for ML. I might use this host for high-performance computing. So I kind of pigeonholed uh, some customers and you weren't able to get the, the best out of your, your GPU hardware. Yeah. So and that's kind of the point, these, right? Because these things are so expensive. You want to you yeah, have exactly. everybody take advantage of them. So, okay. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, so in vSphere 8 Update 1, we worked with NVIDIA to remove some of that uh, incompatibility, that inflexibility, so that you can run any of the profile types on the same host. So you can mix and match the profile types on your, your ESXi host. There is still just one limitation of the GPU memory must remain uniform across them. So if you've got three VMs, uh, three vGPU VMs, all of them need to have eight gigabytes of memory, for example. Um, and that's the GPU memory, not the virtual machine memory. Yeah, um, yeah. so it's a, a, a allows these customers that have these, you know, these large GPUs, these expensive GPUs, to be able to get the best uh, value for money, to be able to mix and match the workloads, and you know, don't have to have one type of workload on a single host. I'll add a, a little bit of detail on that too. I think it's important to note that these GPU profiles are being surfaced from that hardware layer itself. It's not that we're just creating an abstraction layer. They have these four different profile types, A, B, C, and Q, of course, um, which uh, represent different workload types. So application yeah. and uh, you know, app acceleration, then B is VDI and desktop and uh, you know GPU acceleration through to, to desktop. C is compute, which is probably the one that we see most commonly in the vSphere space around AIML and HPC and so forth. And Q, I believe is not quantum it's for those quadra, graphical quadra. yeah for yeah. those graphical intensive well, applications like yeah. cad or something like that yeah yeah and and they all have their own profiles and capabilities as you mentioned uh, but this also aligns with the hardware type too so if you have an a100 mm -hmm. it's only really going to work for uh that uh, c compute type of a workload 
So it's a, it's a, it's a little complex to line these things up. My suggestion is if you're looking at using mixed profiles, you need to make sure you're getting the right GPU type in there because you don't want to get in there and say, I'm going to do some VDI and I'm going to do some HPC or inferencing right. or whatever it happens to be, and then find out you bought the wrong uh, GPU for that mixed profile type of a thing. So uh yeah. It, it's really powerful when used appropriately. It's like things like MIG, where we have that multi-instance GPU where you can carve it up uh, mm -hmm. in an individual thing, uh, in an individual GPU. But here we have very broad capabilities. So we're expanding that capability rather than just sort of saying, hey, we're going to get you the most efficient within one silo. We're saying you can go across these different silos. Yeah. And it's not the only thing that we've been working on with, with NVIDIA either. Um, you know, we just kind of talked about the example of where we've got maybe one GPU or, you know, it's a large enterprise grade GPU, but NVIDIA are shipping servers with multiple GPUs, you know, up to eight GPUs in a single box. Wow. And they've developed a technology that they call NVLink, which is both the name for a port on a protocol. So it sometimes can, can be a little bit confusing, but essentially it's their technology of doing direct GPU to GPU connectivity. So it's not across the PCI bus. So it's much, much faster. So it's a, it's a PCI competitor, I would say like, and, and you know, same thing with both port and protocol PCI is kind of similar yeah. structure. So like, th and this isn't host to host, right? This is just no, all inside of a GPU to GPU all within a single host. Yeah. Mm, yep. well, and so, well, so as they scaled beyond two, they had to come up with, you know, they couldn't, to put in multiple NV links to multiple NV links. So they come up with the concept of what they call an NV switch, which, you know, it's pretty self-descriptive if you're in the, you know, if you're familiar with networking, we're plugging all the GPUs using NV link into the NV switch, and then they can all talk to each other at these super high speeds, um, bypassing the PCI bus. And it's for those ginormous, you know, high performance computing applications. But we'll be able to support that in vSphere 8 update one using uh, vGPU profiles as well and up to eight GPUs all in the box, all talking to each other super, super fast. Yeah, I think from an NV link perspective, you can have two GPUs attached, as you mentioned. Then from an NV switch perspective, it's almost like you're taking a bunch of these NV linked GPUs and creating one field that's all connected onto this one NV switch using that NV link protocol. So yeah. on NV uh, switch, they support, I believe, up to 16 GPUs. NVIDIA does. We don't support that with ESXi yet at this point. We support up to eight. Uh, well, but to but to be fair, like where they do 16, that's technically two baseboards that are like linked together and then the switches bridge. It's not really there isn't a baseboard. There isn't a hardware baseboard that goes beyond eight. So, right, right. And, and to your question about host to host, I mean, NVIDIA does support that. We're, of course, we're looking at getting up to 16. Of course, we're looking at host to host mm -hmm. and all the rest of these things. But I think it's important, you know, if you look at the the number of customers today who are using NVLink uh, pair GPUs on vSphere uh versus the number that are using eight versus, you know, yeah. 16 and cross host. Well, don't obviously. they cost about 10 to $15,000 a piece? So like, yeah, we're, we're starting to talk about, you know, a supercar worth of GPUs per host here. So. And, and there are use cases for that. Absolutely. Uh, there, there, there are customers that really do need to get that absolute fastest throughput GPU to GPU, to GPU in order to get their massively parallelized. Uh, that's not a word, but well, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, workflows with the absolute lowest latency and the fastest performance. Uh, it's one of those things, if you know you need it, then you're happy. If uh, you're kind of thinking, do I need a eight GPU NV switch? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. It's always funny when VMware has, you know, when you serve so many different uh, customers, you know, Bob's tackle shop over here versus like the largest financial industry you know, and they're both using the same software. Yeah. Joe's six pack a host may not need it, but you know, the, these technologies trickle down and cool, cool AI ML applications will get built by someone else who probably did purchase that many GPUs and they'll eventually find their way to edge applications, lightweight applications. Um, you know, as the GPUs evolve, the use cases come down. Um, this stuff is really good for building initial models that'll get refined and then pushed out to edge, which will trickle down to, you know, much smaller customers, hopefully. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. The use cases for this, I think we're just starting to tap at this point. We're just starting to see where this stuff is going to go. Like the, when I, I was hearing about the other day is an institution doing Monte Carlo simulations and they're trying to shave literally like one, 2% off their, their response times on these things. That's it. And they can literally not find enough GPUs to throw out these problems in order to scale it out uh, yeah. and get that fastest performance. And I'm thinking, man, that's it's stuff that I never would have thought about. Uh, right. Uh, that we're starting to see. Yeah. History will look back at this point as being the beginning of Skynet. <laughs> the beginning of St- Skynet. Skynet, yeah, yeah, we'll be at fault, yeah. <laughs> so back to back to features that mere mortals will be using yeah. Um, yeah. that might make it to a home lab. Um, so, yeah, we, I suppose, mere mortals can be can be using Kubernetes. There you go. <laughs> if you want to put it that way, and we've made some improvements to our vSphere Tanzu uh, SKUs as well. So we kind of have two two different SKUs with with vSphere Tanzu. You either run uh, full-blown NSX, um, which gives you a lot of, uh, which initially gave you a lot of the, the more uh, advanced capabilities, but we've started to bring a lot of those uh, capabilities to the vSphere with uh, distributed switch uh, installation SKU as well. And the first thing um, that we're bringing um, in vSphere update one is supervisor services. So supervisor services have been around on the NSX SKU for for a, a, a little while now. And essentially they're, they're certified uh, Kubernetes and tested operators that give you some infrastructure as a service components. And you can add them and make them available to your, to your developers, to your vSphere Tanzu environment. Developers can deploy and use these. And so what are we talking about here? We're talking about things like the Valero uh, vSphere operator for doing backup and restore of Kubernetes right. clusters, things like Harbor for image registry. And there's a whole other bunch of, of packages that are available. There's certificate management, there's logging, there's a, there's a whole other, other uh, wheelhouse of, of different services that you can very easily just with, you know, grab the link, add it to vSphere and it's available to your to your developers. So it's a very, po- very popular, very powerful uh, service that we're constantly growing. We're constantly adding new things to it. And, you know, the vSphere admins don't really need to be uh, worried about, you know, what these services are. They don't need to have to really understand them. They're more for the de- DevOps personas, but they can be trusted that, they, that they've been certified and they've been validated that, you know, they're not going to cause any malicious harm. And there's a whole bunch of version regist- uh, version control you can do as well. You can have multiple versions because a lot of things in the Kubernetes space, you know, they're very fast moving. Versions change. You want to maybe control that or, or stay on an older version if, for, for whatever reason. So we're making all those available to the vSphere Tanzu on distributed switch networking stack. 
which is typically our, our, our it's kind of colloquially called our, our mass market skew as well, because it's, you know, uh, we want to get this this functionality, this V through a tangent, this Kubernetes integration out to as many, many folks as possible. Um, in, if you think, sorry, just very quickly, yeah. when you think about the types of frameworks that we're releasing with with eight, this is one of those things with that uh, accelerating innovation for DevOps and what we're trying to uh, offer is an expanding set of services as we go through this release. So I think, you know, things like Contour for ingress traffic management and uh, even the VM service, if you think about it from that perspective, where we can control VMs uh, via these Kubernetes APIs and, and operators and things like this, where we can control and manage what services the supervisor, which is running on your vSphere cluster, can offer to the, I don't want to use the term upstream because that, that means something, uh, but to the services that are dependent on it, to that IaaS that is running through this Kubernetes controlled environment. We'll see more and more of these types of operators being provided to that upper layer. And the cool thing is that vSphere provides these brackets that, that make it safe to run these services for the IaaS rather than just saying uh, DevOps or developers come in and consume whatever you want and build whatever you want. We can say, hey, we've got this certified service that will make you able to play in your, again, it's not a sandbox. This is a genuine you know, production environment, but it gives them some brackets around which they can deploy, configure, uh, play around, block, manage ingress traffic, do contour, harbor, all the rest of those components in a safe and, and controlled and, and still very powerful way that they're familiar with. So we'll see like more in and their more own more. container. <laughs> sure. Yes, <Deep> exactly. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> And yeah. can you mention the, the VM service there as well? And I suppose that's always been there because that's what's used to deploy those supervised VMs. It's what deploys your TKG clusters and things like that. But we're actually expanding on that as well to bring it closer and closer with each release to a, a bring your own image model. Um, so we had a maybe a customize your own image model in 8.0 where you could customize Photon and Ubuntu images to use as you see fit. Um, we're taking another step forward to a bring your own image model by allowing administrators to, you know, package up a, any Linux virtual machine or let's say any modern Linux virtual machine. It needs to be able to uh, support cloud image or vApp config. I think there's a minimum kernel version that I don't know now off the top of my head, but any modern recent Linux distro should be fine here. And it's essentially bringing that concept that we've had in these for, for years, you know, building templates and let, let your consumers, you know, run with them. So admins can package up those Linux VMs, put them in a content library that's already available to those DevOps users or those developers, and then they can run with those, those virtual machines. So again, bringing a lot of those familiar concepts that we kind of take for granted in, in traditional vSphere, bringing it to a new audience, which is going to hopefully, you know, speed up and make things a lot more easier for those developers to use what they want to use, use what they need to use. And they're using their familiar tools. They're not logging into vSphere. They're using kubectl. They're using their command line interface that they're familiar with. It's just all interacting through the supervisor cluster, all being orchestrated under the hood for them. And another kind of, another cool thing in that vein is that you know, we've got developers that are not just deploying container workloads inside Kubernetes clusters anymore. They're deploying and managing their own virtual machines. You know, if you think about a three-tier application, there might be a, a database VM and then, a, a, you know, containers that service a front end and things like that. 
So the developer has multiple uh, multiple application types, VMs and containers to manage, but we want to keep them in the same tool. We don't want to have to you know, go in and out of the vSphere client, for example. Yeah. So one thing we're bringing to these developers is virtual machine consoles directly to them. We don't have to give permissions to these users in the vSphere client. There's no, no worry about that, no vSphere client access. They'll be able to access a VM console direct from their kubectl interface. You know, they run the command, they'll get a link, open that in the browser, and voila, they're into their VM that they already have permissions on because it's already in their specific namespace. So there's no worrying about permissions or, or any sort of security here because we're leveraging the same containerized permission structure that we've had with vSphere Tensu for years now. Very nice. Self-service. I like it. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of self-service, that was a that was a cheeky segue to <laughs> Skyline. <laughs> um, so vSphere's um, Skyline Health Diagnostics, again, isn't anything net new in itself, but we want to try and get it to as many people as possible. If you're not familiar with Skyline Health Diagnostics, it's the, the vSphere-centric um, health platform. So Skyline is an umbrella term at VMware. It can mean a lot of things. We're specifically talking about the Skyline Health Diagnostics appliance. And in vSphere 8 Update 1, we have a new guided installer right there in the vSphere client out of the box. So it'll help you deploy the appliance, register with vCenter, get you set up and running to do all the cool things that Skyline can do. And those are things like it'll investigate your environment for any configuration mishaps. It'll recommend any known issues or KBs that you may be applicable to. Um, it can run health checks. It can be used by support to gather logs and send logs back to VMware for uh, troubleshooting. Uh, and one pretty powerful one is that it'll it'll identify any security advisories that you may be applicable to. So this is a really a really big one, I think, in in this day and age that it will look at your environment. It'll be able to check against the VM or published security advisories and let you know if you are vulnerable to any of those. And here's the resolution. Here's how you mitigate against those issues. So for some clarity, this is Skyline Health Diagnostics. This is the one that's designed that can run in an air gap environment. It can run offline. It's a standalone appliance um, that exactly. runs locally. This is this is not the Skyline Collector, which is more the cloud-enabled um, version of, uh, in regards to that. Exactly, yeah. This can be uh, run offline. You don't get everything when it's, uh, when it's disconnected um, because it will rely on on the administrators to kind of feed it um, new information every so often. But if you have it connected to VMware's um, backend, it can automatically get those new KVs, those new security advisories, those new recommendations um, for you. And it's interesting with Skyline Health Diagnostics, we have, this is an area where there's basically continuous innovation because there's so much data that we can hook into. Uh, it's really just a matter of how they want to analyze it and parse it. And they can continuously innovate in that area and pull in more and more information. Uh, to your point, John, we've got Skyline as a service. We've got Skyline Advisor Pro. We've got Skyline uh, Health Diagnostics. We've got a few pieces within this one. This can be, as you mentioned, sort of offline if you need it to be, but if you use CEIP, uh, it actually has a whole bunch of additional value beyond it because it can pull all of that that log data, all of that information that you're looking for uh, through the customer experience improvement program as well. 
So yeah. really strongly recommended for just about anybody who's got a user environment to take a look at uh, using SHD. And oh, yeah. we, we do pu publish some material about that, even in tech marketing on a, a, a periodic basis here, but there's so much innovation on that. If you haven't looked at it in the last, you know, three, four months, I recommend you take a look again because it's it's fairly continuous. Core.vmware.com is the place to go still? Yes. Uh, yep. Sure. And, uh, you know, KBs and uh, they've got dedicated websites for this as well from a product perspective. But yeah, core.vmware.com, core that's where we publish most of our tech content. Or just put it in chat, GPT, and it'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah. As long as you've got uh, eight-way GPUs. Eight GPUs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mentioned Skyline there and one of its capabilities of, you know, checking for security advisories. So let's kind of switch into that, that topic now, um, maybe to round out the episode, because security is still front of, front of mind for a lot of customers. Um, and there's a couple of things that we're doing in vSphere 8 um, to just help with that and also to close close a couple of, let's say, gaps or interoperability issues that we had. I mentioned the issue earlier with QuickBoot and TPM 2.0. They're now fully compatible with each other. We're also making VTPM compatible with vSphere fault tolerance. Um, so that was previously just didn't work. Uh, vSphere 8 update one now fixes that incompatibility. And VTPM obviously becomes a more important for the modern Windows operating systems, especially Windows 11. If you wanna do those things like device guard, secure boot, OS attestation, things like that, and Windows 11 requiring it, if you also have the need for that, you know, uh, uninterruptible high availability that fault tolerance provides you, now you again, you don't have to make that trade off. Um, in the area of storage, um, this is kind of a, it's a weird one that we put into, into security, but essentially it's a, more of a storage technology where we're now able to do VM kernel NIC binding for NFS data stores. You know, we've done it for iSCSI for, for years now, and we're bringing that same capability to NFS data stores, and you can do it at a per NFS data store level as well. I guess the reason we have it here kind of categorized as, as security is because for a long time, we do recommend, you know, isolating your various traffics. Um, and with this uh, VM kernel binding now for your NFS data store traffic, you can make sure that it is isolated uh, and secure from any other traffic as well. So ticks those boxes there. And the last thing in security really that we have is a pretty big one because it's been something customers have been asking for for years. And that's uh, more modern identity providers. You know, for, for a long time, vCenter only spoke to, you know, on-premises Active Directory and, and and open LDAP, um, if you were one of the few that used open LDAP. But then we introduced Active Directory Federation services, which you know it 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 did an improvement. It allowed us to support additional identity providers behind Active, Active Directory Federation services. But now we're bringing native direct uh, connectivity between vCenter and Okta identity services. So if you're uh, an Okta user, you'll be able to hook vCenter directly into Okta, leverage all the multi-factor authentication that Okta provides you. And the cool thing um, about using a, 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 um, 
the the identity providers, the external identity providers, is that vSphere never sees the credentials. So vSphere is no longer an attack vector for your credentials because, like with any web authentication SSO, service out there, yeah, you you, exactly. you you get redirected. So yeah, get redirected to Okta. Plug in your credentials. Put in your whatever code or uh, scan your thumb. And then it'll send you back. Um, so Okta is the first one that's coming on board in vSphere update one. And we are planning on additional uh, providers in future updates as well. So it's not going to be the only one. Just to add a little bit onto that too, there's nothing that says it has to be your own thumb you're scanning. If you happen to have a collection of thumbs that are- uh, <laughs> Any thumb. So, so my Ooh, understanding, Ken, is, is you you have to have positive blood pressure for to get a clean read. So, you you know- just You're do it before the kill. There are ways around this. Let's let, let's talk about this uh, in a different <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that's a different podcast. Capillary yeah. yeah. pressure. But on the topic of security, just before we we wrap up, I just want to remind people to do sign up for the security advisory emails. Um, you know, I know I'm tech, you know, I'm working in marketing, but those email that email distribution is not a marketing gotcha. It's only for those security advisories, which are always always coming out and they'll be emailed to you as soon as they're published. So definitely the one subscription from VMware you definitely should have. <laughs> the NFS thing is the situation where that helps you is you've you've basically uh because normally you would just have a separate VM kernel port that's on a separate VLAN and a separate subnet and it just figures out like vSphere is going to map the NFS client outbound mm. down that path. Is this something where like someone makes an oopsie and has a second VM kernel port that's on that subnet that's in a different broadcast domain? Like, does it prevent misconfiguration or? Yeah, it can, it can, it can help with misconfiguration as well, but it can, it, it just, it's also just, I think, easier than having to worry about that um, separating thing, things out. You can just pick your VM kernel port, set it up that way, and boom, your NFS traffic is just going to go out that, that singular VM kernel. Very cool. Well, Ken, I know we were talking earlier about, um, you know, obviously this is a big update. Uh, what about vSphere Plus? Is there are there updates for vSphere Plus as well? And is that does that fall along the same schedule as vSphere? So is there like an eight update one? How does that work? Yeah. Uh, well, um, not really. So if we think about it, the way vSphere is being released, it's 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 a singular code base. Where we're still running vSphere on prem. So when we talk about vSphere eight and a lot of these things that you would install and configure, that's the full vSphere 8 experience for update one. You get your ISOs, you install it and configure it however you want. Uh, if you think about what we're doing with vSphere Plus, it's really an additional uh, set of functionality that you get on top of what we would get with vSphere, but you kind of need to have the vSphere 8 uh, installed and, and configured in your environment. So if someone's interested in doing something like a connected cloud services model, that's when you would buy something like vSphere Plus, which gives you your on-prem vSphere, whether it's seven or eight or whichever supported model, connected to, um, in this case, a VMware cloud that provides these services back to your on-prem environment. And so that's what the vSphere Plus model is. So if you've procured vSphere Plus, you're buying a cloud-connected model. It's licensed through subscription. It replaces the entire uh, on-prem licensing model that you have to worry about with key management and all the rest of that stuff. And then it gives you the rights to run vSphere 8 update one, for example, in your on-premises data center, 
or in VMC on AWS or whichever, you know, cloud of, of, of your choice, but presumably it's going to be your, your on-prem data center. So vSphere Plus gives you all of that functionality on top of some additional benefits that it provides around these cloud-connected services. So things like uh, global inventory management through uh, the VMware cloud interface or things oh, like yeah. uh, in, improved patch management and lifecycle management for your field of vCenter servers that you might have distributed around the world where you can do less uh, downtime upgrades, reduce downtime upgrades and easier um, notification of uh, patches that are available. Uh, deployment to those different environments and so on and so forth through this cloud interface. So we can iterate those cloud services a little more quickly uh, than we can the um, on-prem installations because we can just deliver those services on the fly whenever they're ready to be delivered as a cloud service. But your on-prem environment would still be a vSphere 8, a vSphere 7, uh, you know, whichever update is, is appropriate for your environment. All you're doing with the vSphere Plus environment is gaining access to this cloud-connected service, the easier license management, plus those services that we can deliver to that on-prem environment. And this is what we, we announced as Project Arctic a couple of years ago uh, that uh, Raghu mentioned at uh, VMworld at the time. And it's about delivering those cloud services to our customers wherever their environment is running. So if they are purely an on-prem customer, sure, sure, they can still benefit from these cloud services without having to migrate their workloads onto the cloud in order to gain those things. And you see things like capacity services and uh, VCDR and various add-ons that become more accessible to the customer because they're now cloud adjacent to the location where those services are running. Oh, so I can see that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, cloud different services different... for your on-premises environment. That's yeah, exactly. So you would license vSphere Plus, and then you were uh, given access to those services as well as the vSphere Eight that you would install on-prem, or you can you can purchase vSphere Eight and, and install that on-prem and not worry about those cloud per, uh, additional services. If that makes very sense. Nice, very nice. But it's kind of cool because the overall you know the themes that we mentioned about vSphere uh, Eight and those those areas of innovation and investment that we're putting into it. That then becomes available to every customer. And then this addition of those cloud services also becomes available to those same customers. So you can kind of pick and choose what level of, of, uh, of service you need from your infrastructure, whether it's just purely on-prem, whether there's an element of IaaS that you're looking at building in-house with Tanzu and uh, TKG and things like that, or a full cloud-connected kind of a model. I like it. I like it. Well, I know vSphere 8 update one was just announced today. Uh, so there's going to be a lot to, to read up on and there's going to be a lot of resources for people to take advantage of. Uh, what's the best place for people to go and learn more? Oh, well, it's for us, it's got to be core.vmr.com um, slash vSphere, of course. Don't go to that slash uh, vSAN or vCF there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good there. <laughs> but yeah, core.vmware.com. And that's where you're going to see all our content um, trickle out as uh, an announcement and as the as the product goes live as well. Yeah, and we're, our goal is really to give you a full exploration of some of these features as well. So we'll have, you know, the the what's new, the, the high-level blogs that talk about all of the, the, this new functionality. But then if you keep going back to core, uh, we have blogs and we have tech notes that we're continuously producing that go into individual features. So you see some information directly from Phelan, for example, about uh, config profiles uh, very quickly. And then we'll see some other things from other friends in the team, like Justin Murray is going to be talking about what we're doing with DPUs and so on and so forth. So there, there, there's a lot of information that we're going to be keeping a, a continuous beat on uh, the releasing of. 
Very good. Very good. Well, Ken, Phelan, I know I know you guys are busy. I want to thank you guys for taking time to join us on Virtually Speaking. And uh, John, anything else for these gentlemen before we let them go? No, I'm, uh, I've got some, some JSON to learn. So I'm off to the lab. I've got some Mario Kart to play. And some Mario Kart, absolutely. <laughs> I've got some PSVR to get sick to. That's unrelated to the rest of the topics. <laughs> it's a little